take up our Bibles and turn to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 2. Galatians 2, in this interlude, the blessing of being in the Lord's house on a Christmas Eve allows us then to expand upon that which we've been thinking about in terms of Advent, of looking at our hope and our joy and our peace and our love, and recognizing that this is the fullness of a life that is found in Jesus. And so even as we look tomorrow very briefly at the wonder of that light that is ours, that light that we are now called to be, that is a part of the life that is found in the righteousness of Christ. And so as we consider the gift of life, our life in the gift of Jesus, let's hear these words together. Galatians 2, we'll begin our reading in verse 15, and then we will take for our text verse 20 this evening. Where Paul writes, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus, in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. And then our text, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Thus far the reading of God's holy and inspired word. Will you pray with me? Our Lord and Heavenly Father, as we bow our hearts before your word tonight, Lord, we are We are so very thankful for the opportunity to meditate on your word, and yet, Father, we know that there is all kinds of, there are all kinds of things going on right now that could hinder our glad response to you, things to do, places to be, people to see, but you've ordained this time for us to come and once again consider the great gift of life that is ours in your Son. And so, Father, with the words of my mouth and the meditations of our spirit be pleasing to you, Would you open our hearts to receive your word? Would you ready us to go forth in thanksgiving for them? And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, children of God called to be saints, it doesn't take me to tell you that there are lots of people who give lots of presents and lots of gifts at Christmas. That if we consider outside of what our own convictions are of this day, the economic boom of what Christmas seems to be to so many, there's all kinds of gift giving and present giving. That if we think about it even in our own lives, we give gifts to our children, to family members, to friends, to neighbors, to teachers, to employees, to a whole host of other people. And I would say for the most part, we are a people who love to give gifts. We love to give. There is blessing far more in giving than in receiving, though we like that part too. And yet as special as those gifts are, and certainly that isn't to take anything away from our gift giving and those exchanges and whatnot, most of those gifts, typically none of those gifts, 
are the difference between someone's life and death. We pray that not many of those gifts are of that kind. I was thinking about this the other day as I considered in cleaning my inbox between Thanksgiving and Christmas the mass number of emails and even phone messages that I have not answered because they were potential spam, but figuring out what they were were requests from organizations to give blood. I even have a friend who in her phone, when the phone rings from Versity or the American Red Cross, it says vampires, and then she doesn't pick up the phone. But there are all these requests. And here's the way then that, that you can give, you can help. And, and some of them came with this tagline, give the gift of life. Give the gift of life. And the same could be said for those who are urged to to become organ donors, those who are asked to, to fill out that which would be needed for marrow donors. Give the gift of life. And there are words that have stuck with me, certainly some of it in terms of dealing with the grief of those around me and entering into that. Even hearing today of a neighbor whose wife passed away yesterday. And so there are those bits of pause, give the gift of life, because that's a gift that I would like to give. But yet even that gift is still a couple units, maybe. It's, it's still temporal. There's still a duration to it, and, and that call is going to come again, and it's going to come again, and it's going to come again. Give the gift of life. And even that gift, while it gives an extension to a life, is not life itself. And so again, while many of us give such gifts in the here and now as a blessing to others, as a vital way of being community together and loving one another, I would suggest and say that the Word says that we have something far greater to give. Something far, far more important in terms of that difference between life and death. But then I ask myself, Matt, do you present the gospel to others as regularly or in as scheduled a way as you are asked to give blood or to help others? I have this gift. Not again because I'm a pastor, because I'm a Christian, because I, I'm found in Christ. I've been given the greatest of all gifts at Christmas. It's what we say. We have the gospel. Here is that difference. I was darkness, but now I am light in the Lord. My life was destined for destruction, and now I have been given grace and peace and love and comfort. And yet, how, op- how often I, I close my mouth. Do we realize the true value and import of the greatest gift that we have received at Christmas? That which we say not only that we've received, but we love, that that we cling to, that is our only assurance. Do we realize all that we have received in the person of the incarnate Christ, of life now and the promise forever? What we've received is heard and 
in that most perhaps universally known statement of that great gift. We heard it this morning, did we not? For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave the gift of life. He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. We've been given the gift of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ by grace alone, through faith alone, for the glory of God alone. We know this. We heart this. We, we say all kinds of things about this. But in this life that we have found and known in Jesus, are we willing to give what is ours? Are we willing to share the life that has been given to us? To share our hope and our peace and our joy and our love in directing our children and our family members and our friends and our neighbors and all that we come into contact with, with the only life that can be known in a loving Father through one and only Savior in the powerful working of one Holy Spirit. Are we willing? We're able. Are we willing to give our lives, to give up our very lives themselves, to speak the gospel, to give the gift of peace that people would see and fear and put their trust in the Lord, in a faithful Savior, Jesus Christ? Are we willing to lose our lives that we might find them in him, in his love and righteousness forever? It's the question before us tonight. That in that need to know what we wake up to tomorrow and rejoice in in Emmanuel, that's the call of the examination of our hearts tonight. That in the gift of the incarnation of Jesus Christ, we are given life that we might give our lives to him and give life to others. That's the call. But what will that gifted life, seeking to share that gift, look like? What's it, what's it going to be given to? What's it going to be full of? What will it give testimony to? It's the wonder of Paul's words here in Galatians 2.20. Because he says that is a life of dying, it's a life of dwelling, it's a life of depending, and it's a life of deliberating. In the gift of the incarnation of Jesus Christ, we are given a life that we might give our lives to him and give life to others. And that conflict or perhaps that decision and that point of contact comes in the first word of Galatians 2.20, I. Because in understanding that gift and understanding that calling, we're not dealing with other people. What we're dealing with here is that first and foremost personal relationship that we claim. I. What am I about? What am I given to? What is important to me? But it also gives testimony of Paul making very plain in that lead up to Galatians 2.20. That's the, that's the person that I was. I, I claim the law. I claim to be more righteous than other people, a Pharisee among Pharisees, a Hebrew among Hebrews. In regards to the law of Pharisee, righteous, perfect. 
that was me. And for us Gentiles, we don't even get to claim that. This is my wickedness. This is my brokenness. This is my life lived apart from God. I. And if I is all that I have in the story, I have no life. I have no salvation. I have no hope. If I is all that there is, I am to be most pitied. But in speaking that I, we have to deal with that. What am I? It says in Ephesians 2, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. I, me, mine, that is what I lived for, That's what I was given to, that I was living death, that I was only worthy of death. And so if that's the I, then Paul says, I need to die. And yet my death cannot save me. My giving up all things in and of itself can't help. I can't make myself undead. I can't give myself life. And so what we share with people is not a story of I, my righteousness, or glorifying my sin. That is a part of the story to drive them to the remedy. To drive them to the gift. Don't place your comfort in I but in the fact that I have died. I have been crucified with Christ. Or you could translate more woodenly, with Christ I have been crucified. My life is wrapped up in His. That's all that I have. I I am no more. Me, myself, mine, These words have no import or meaning for me anymore. I've been given something better. And as much as that sin nature wants me to continue to return to that default, to go back to that reset, I'm with Christ. I have died. And what a blessing that that is. Paul says in Romans 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of the sin, the I, might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. And here, for one who has died, has been set free from sin. Not only have I died with Christ, and I am free with him. I am free in him. And that becomes that message. I die that I may live. I put sin to death that I may glory in Christ. I have received the gift of life, but that means I am no more. And that to many in the world will instantly be the way that they reject your message. 
It's not good for me. No, it is, but it's no longer me. It's no longer I. And yet if we consider that life of dying, how often, even in seeking to share the gift of life, does it sound a lot more like my, my testimony, that I have decided to follow Jesus, that I am seeking to be righteous. My only answer is Christ. I have died. What is my identity? Christ. What is my hope? Christ. What is my forgiveness? Christ. What is my justification? Christ. What is my sanctification? Christ. What is my hope of glory? It's Christ. Paul will write later in Galatians, Galatians 6.14, But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which, and he goes further, which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Because all that's left is Christ. Christ in me, and Christ behind me, and Christ before me. It's Christ. And so that call in receiving this gift, but also in being able to share that gift of life, is to have to share the word that I have died. That I am no more, but Christ is with me. That all I desire to be and all that I am is Him. That I have died to the sin and to the world, that I I would live to God in Christ Jesus. And so that I would dwell with him. That my life is worth living because now it is found in union and communion and fellowship with the one who dwells with me. Because he moves so quickly. And we could take sermon upon sermon just for that first phrase. But in moving to that life of dwelling, it deals with living. So I've died. And now who's living? Who's dwelling? Who is to be praised in all of this? It is no longer I who live. And we're like, well, yeah, you already said that. I've died. I've been crucified. But do we get it? Do we realize that in receiving that gift, there is no more me, there is no more my? Paul, Romans 8, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. How? Through His Spirit who dwells in you. And so you're no longer worried about your own story or making it make sense to someone else. You're simply telling the story of the Savior and the work of the Spirit. Because this isn't my life. I've been bought with a price, so I will glorify God with my body. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It is Christ who takes up dwelling in me. It is Christ that is all of the energy and all of the effort and all of that which I might do. The source of every good work that I might do that he has prepared beforehand that I would walk in. Every bit of this life and this existence as one crucified with Christ is in the life that is found in Him. And that is why He's come. 
John 1, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That, that is the source of this life. And how can I give life and offer that life to someone else if, if I'm still settling for something else? Again, if I'm seeking to make this about my righteousness, of how I keep the law, of how I have taken that gift and done something with No, Christ lives in me. Christ dwells in me. And now I am made to dwell in Him. That's what union is. It's not like this is a car of which we hop in and hop out of from time to time. Like, this is it and there are no more doors and there's no more out. And I don't want there to be windows there to look out at what was before. I don't want that anymore. So that Paul prays in Ephesians 3, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And hear this, that you might be filled with the fullness of God. You see, sometimes we talk about how Jesus lives in our heart and And we might correct that and say, well, the Spirit has taken dwelling in our hearts. But even that to us spatially seems limiting. Like I've let a little Jesus in or, or we're filled with a little Spirit. And Paul's saying, you're settling for less. Fullness of God. That in the Christ was where the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And he says, you. Fullness. Not regulated, not governor, not in any way. That there is more for us to know and to love and discover. That we dwell with one who says, I love you enough to make my tabernacle among you, to make it in you. Yes, in your flesh, but now you're in me. And that flesh and my person are at the Father's right hand for you. And we have beheld that kind of glory that for us is all of our grace and all of our truth. And that is that life of dwelling, of meditating, of of fellowship, of living in a home in nearness and care, recognizing that, that my life is not my own, that my space is not my own, that I am found in Him and with Him always. That in thinking about that, how much more special it is when we hear Emmanuel, God with us, God in us, that with Christ I have been crucified, that with Christ I live. That one true God and true man has not only dwelt with me, but has made promises of saying, all that you need. And all that you depend on is found in me as well. Because that's the quick, again, transition from Paul to that life of depending. And the life I now live in the flesh. And we're like, yeah, 
You died. You've died with Christ. And your life is found in him. He lives in you. And now you're talking about your life again. The life I live in the flesh. There's still this existence. There's still that which we live where we're going to wake up tomorrow and and we're going to have Christmas and and get together with family and rejoice in goodness. And and then the next day we're going to go back to work and we're going to do the things of this time that he has given. But yet that has impact. If I am with Christ, if I am in Christ, if he is my life, if he is all of that energy and all of that blessing and all of that praise, if he is my all and he is in me, a dwelling place for God by the Spirit, will that shape all that I do? Will that shape every word that I speak, every gesture that I make? Every work that I perform, every word that I write, that I type, that I speak, that I text. Because it says in Galatians 5.24, And those who belong to Jesus Christ, again found in Him, dwelling in Him, life in Him, have not only been crucified, but have what? Have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. No longer living for the same thing anymore. And so we speak in saying to people, this is the life that I have. I can't do that myself. I couldn't be found in him. I was dead. I can't dwell with him in myself because I'm a rebel. And so unless he brings me to himself and is with me and for me, I have no good thing. But here, if I am to live, then here is that wonder of finding the life of Jesus in me even as now I put to death the life of the flesh, that ongoing battle between that old man and that new man. That's part of the gift we share too. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. Dependence. This has, excuse me, has to happen for me. Excuse me, Why? So that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. That's the struggle. And yet in that is life. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. So that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. But that's dependent. That if he has not come for me and dwelt with me and died for me and risen again for me and ascended for me, I can't live that kind of life. And yet the life I live is the life of Christ. And that is a life of faith. The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God. And that's the only place that the I re-enters the story. As one found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own, one empowered by Jesus Christ, not of myself, but in Him alone, I live by faith. For by grace, Ephesians 2, you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. That, that's Jesus for you. Here is the life that Jesus has given to you. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. 
dependence. Father, I can do no good thing apart from your son. I have no life apart from your son. And so help me to realize the marvel of that gift. And what has that given to us? Romans 5, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through, with him, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And that, my friends, is life. That's what life is intended to be. And yet the struggle we have in sharing our faith, of sharing Christ, of sharing life, of giving that gift, is that we're still struggling to truly receive it. And so much of that is bound up in that same struggle that we spoke of this morning. Those tribulations, those struggles, those hardships. And yet if we're living a life of dependence upon Him, if we're in Him and with Him, then we can still rejoice. That no matter what is going on in us and in our lives, because we dwell with one who is good, we're able to give and give again. It's like Peter writes in 1 Peter 1, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Why? Because we have obtained the outcome of our faith and are obtaining the outcome of our faith, the salvation of your souls. We have something to give to a people, to this world, a gift of life. Even when we're struggling, saying, Lord, I know that you're good, but what's going on right now isn't. That to live is Christ, but to die is gain. It's why we still cry out, Maranatha, Lord Jesus, come quickly. And yet in this life, and all that comes, because of Christ, because of the gift of life that he's given, I may depend on him to care for us, and to sustain us, and to see us safely through. That's a life lived by faith in the Son of God. And those are truths given to us in that gift that we might share with others gifts that are worth meditating upon and truths that are worth deliberating over. Because there's a constancy to how this verse ends. And yes, there's more that that comes and and needing to deal with the hearts of the Galatians, yet to deal with our own hearts. But we so quickly focus in terms of a life lived, in that kind of dying and dwelling and depending, where we're still looking at these as actions and checklists and whatnot. But in receiving that gift, that, that isn't what we do right away. Like, Like, kids, when you receive a gift tomorrow, you're not sitting there looking at all the specifications of the thing and and what's been done and how it all works and how it all... Oh, my goodness, this is the greatest hockey stick I've ever received. Oh, my goodness, Dad, I can't believe you bought me a car. Look at this thing. They don't know what the model is. They don't know. Some of them might, but not all of them. 
They're just overjoyed in the gift. Look what you've done for me. Thank you. We'll figure the rest out later. And the more that you start to look at that gift and consider the giver and how beautiful that gift is and you start to see it in all of its fullness, we grow in thanks and praise and admiration for the giver. And so Paul, in the beautiful way that he wraps up this verse, isn't denying all of the technical, theological import of all that's come before. But the landing place here, and what I long for you in considering this gift, is I've had that blessing in this week, is to fall upon the last phrase in Galatians 2.20. That your anticipation of the day would be wrapped up in that and. That the beauty of Christ and the wonder of that gift not only would lead you there in your admiration for it, but it allows us that key to be able to share with others that gift of life. Because it no longer has anything to do with me. And there's no I in it at all. But it's simply the beauty of Christ. The beauty of the love of a father, even for somebody broken like me and you. Something worth deliberating on, which is just a fancy word for think about it for a while. And come to a right decision about it that leads you to take an action. To open your mouth and to share with others. What did you get for Christmas? A life of dying and dwelling and depending and deliberating. Faith in the Son of God who loved me. I have received life in one who loves me simply because he loved me. Who gave all things to love me. Who suffered throughout all his life, but especially at the end, because he loved me who has gone into heaven and sits at the place, the right hand of the Father, not only for the glory of the Father, but because He loves me. And He's gone there to prepare a place for me because He loves me. And He's going to come again for me because He loves me. He says in Jeremiah 31.3, I have loved you with an everlasting love, therefore I have continued my faithfulness to you. Or as we heard this morning, knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced, I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate me and you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And how did he do that? He loved me enough to give himself for me. Loved me and gave himself for me. He didn't just say it. He didn't just speak it. It wasn't some cheap love and some cosmic Valentine's Day card. 
loved me and gave himself. And that's what has appeared at Christmas. The Christ, the Messiah, Jesus, who will save his people from their sins. Titus 2, for the grace of God has appeared. That's what Advent is about. We are waiting for his appearing. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to put it to death, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, which is lived in Christ, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us, to give us life, to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself here at a people for his own possession. But Paul doesn't stop there. And we must not let the gift of life at Christmas that we've received stop there. Hoarding this gift knowing what it is and looking at sus- with suspicion at the world or wonder if they deserve that good news or if they need it or that I have to be the one to share it. To purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And that's why I've chosen that word deliberation. If this is the one who has loved me and given himself for me, not only does that call me to a decision, but it calls me to decisive action. A deliberating more than just thinking about who God is and and what he's done, more than just contemplating the gospel and its import, but actually living the gospel and sharing what it is about. An action leading to a well-meant offer of the gospel coming out of my mouth, not just in my actions, but in my words. To all that I know and all that I don't. Not caring what may come or what may happen to me. Because he loved me and gave himself for me. And that is what I am now called to give. And that's what you're called to give in Christ. It's not about you anymore, it's about Him. We have the gift of life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Give the gift of life, that's what we give. And speak, and spread, and model, and example, and give testimony to, and pray, Lord, work life, and give life. And let me be life to those that I share this life with to the glory of your name. So what do we have to give? Do you have anything to give? In the song In the Bleak Midwinter, the song resolves in coming. What what can I give you poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I'd give a lamb. And if I was a drummer, I I would do that thing. But what can I give you? I can give my heart. I can give my intention in every way. I can give my heart. And so what do we have to give our families, 
and to give our extended families and give the world at Christmas your heart because your heart is Christ. I can give life in the gospel of Jesus Christ as one whose life is his and given to him so that they would hear and believe and put their trust in him. We have the gift of life to give. And while we can't make it happen, we can proclaim Christ boldly and promiscuously at all times and in every way. And so may we give our lives to that end, to the glory of the newborn King. Amen. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of the gospel and its call upon us. And Lord, what a gift is ours. And Lord, we recognize even in this brief meditation on Galatians 2.20 that there is so much more to think on and to rejoice in and to praise you for. But what is clear, Father, as one who has made us in your grace to die with your Son, to know your Spirit dwelling in us even as we dwell in union and communion with your Son, in a life that is shown in every way to depend, not on us, not on our works, not on our righteousness, but on the grace and the goodness and the life of Christ. Father, help us in all of our deliberating on these things to resolve as Paul does, to grow in the love and the wonder of what he received in one who loved him and gave himself for him. Father, may this be our story, may this be our song as we praise our Lord and Savior Jesus all the day long. May this blessed assurance be ours, yes. But Father, may that song resound. May it be spoken. That as we give our hearts to you promptly and sincerely, Father, open our mouths. Open our lives, Father, to give that gift that we have received that there were those men and women and boys and girls bold enough to walk after you and follow you who opened their mouths to us and shared the gospel with us. And you used that in the power of the Holy Spirit to change us forever. Lord, thank you for the gift of Christ. And we ask all these things in his name. Amen. This time we have